Well, welcome to Downtown Harbor Church. Slight disclaimer, you are at church in a science museum, so things go off randomly, which probably just happened before the message. It happens quite often around here, sometimes during my message, and those with ADD go squirrel. However, we will uh, continue to press on. Hey guys, I'm Adam. I'm the lead communicator here. Let me open us in prayer for the message today and just ask God to join us as we process some things together. Father, um, for who you are, we love you. We thank you. We just give this day to you, God. Um, we just pray that your presence would fill this space, that we would learn together, that we would process together, and that we would understand what you want us to understand better together today. We love you and we thank you. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. I am um, super excited. As I said, I'm Adam. I'm the lead communicator here at DHC, and we are smack dab in the middle of this four-week series talk conversation called Life Changing Fiction. And the cool thing about Life Changing Fiction is what we've been doing is we've been taking a look at some stories, right, that exist and how those stories, when we understand them, when we process them, can actually impact our life. Dare I say, they can change our life right where we are at. Sure enough, if you've heard some stories in your life, and all of us have, stories do some things to each of us. They offer us a different context for someone else. They offer us a different perspective for what someone else might be going through or what a culture might be going through. Stories are extremely powerful. Stories call us to use our imagination to think about and imagine a world beyond ourselves. But the cool thing about stories is they aren't just our idea. They're not something that we just randomly came up with or created just to have a message series about. No. Why we use stories and why we're doing this series is because Jesus, who we believe to be the risen Messiah, the one who walked this earth, who claimed to be the Messiah, who predicted his own death and resurrection, why we use stories is because Jesus on earth taught with stories. In fact, he taught in a method that was known as parables. And parables are actually stories that were used to prove a powerful truth that helped people understand things in a different way. People who lived in the time who needed to process and understand things in a different way, which is why Jesus used them to tell stories and why Jesus used them to help teach a lesson. And today's parable, hold on. I just think it's the most powerful one that we're going to explore throughout this entire conversation or series. I think today's parable is so life-changing. Dare I say today's parable is actually one of the foundations that downtown Harbor Church was created on. Today's parable was one of our founding principles. In fact, you don't even know this, but when we sat around almost three years ago before starting downtown Harbor Church, this parable was actually discussed as we thought about what type of culture and what type of environment we wanted to actively create. So today, we're actually going to talk about the parable of the prodigal son. Now, what I love so much about this, and just stay with me for a second, is remember these parables were fiction, okay? But when we allow that fiction to be active in our lives, that our lives can be changed. And in the parable of the prodigal son, there are three characters, and we are actually going to go in to the lives of all three of those characters, right? In today's message, we could spend weeks on, months on, you name it, we could spend a lot of time here. But today's message is actually kind of like a mishmash of all three of those characters, right? And so we're going to talk about all of them here today, but it's important for us to keep in mind that they are what? That they are 
characters, that these people, don't miss this, it's so key, that these people are fiction, right? That Jesus actually told a story about them and they weren't real people. But when we understand some things about them, it can actually be life-changing. So before we dive in and talk about each one of these characters, first of all, a lot of times people hear this story, the prodigal son, and they've heard this expression in their life before, right? The prodigal son has what? Come home. The prodigal son has come home. Even if you've never heard this parable in full, you've probably heard that expression before. So what I started to do was I said to myself, what does the word prodigal mean? Because I've never really thought about it. What does the word prodigal actually mean? How do you define it? And when I looked it up, I was very intrigued by the definition because the word prodigal actually is defined by being excessive or wasteful, right? And so you could actually think of this parable like this. This is the parable of the wasteful son. And what does that actually look like? So before we kind of dive into this, let me just have your mind for a second. How many of you in the room have siblings? If you have siblings, would you just raise your hand real quick? Okay, not everybody, but some have siblings. Does anybody, not show of hands, right, and you can put it up if you want to, but anybody have a sibling who is just a deadbeat, right, okay, and you're just like, okay, I mean, don't, okay, sir, all right, please, okay, let's keep it here, but what, I mean, do you have, you have a sibling, maybe you don't have a sibling and you're like, man, I got a cousin who's just a deadbeat, and they're always just getting stuff wrong, and furthermore, mom and dad are always just letting them off the hook, right? They're going, they keep giving them money. They keep, you know, they keep taking them back home. Anybody know anybody like that? I guarantee you that even if you don't have a sibling, you probably could think about someone in your life who would be that in your life. Just keep that person in your mind for just a second. So if you have a scripture, you can definitely turn with us today. We are going to be in the book of Luke. Luke is in the New Testament. It's Luke chapter 15. If not, you're welcome to use any mobile device to follow along. If you don't have that, that's totally great. Everything, as always, will be directly on our screens in the theater here. So in Luke chapter 15, Jesus was actually talking with some of the people of the time about stories, about some different things to think about. And sure enough, in Luke chapter 15, verse 11, he started here. Okay, here it is. Jesus continued. This is how he started off. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. I'm going to stop. Because a lot of times we hear this and we go, okay, this is pretty simple. Think about this for a second. We have no idea who these people are. We have no idea about their story. We have no idea about the father. We have no idea what happened to mom. We have no idea how old the younger brother is versus the older brother. A lot of times we think we have all the details of this story figured out and we can just imagine them, but we know nothing about these people other than what Jesus said. That the younger brother said to his dad, hey dad, can I have my portion of the estate now? Can I have my portion of my inheritance now? Basically, what he was saying to his father was this, hey dad, right? You're not dead yet, but can I have the cash now? Okay? Some of you might feel as if your own children have already said that to you in this day and age, especially those pursuing a college education, right? You're not dead yet, but can you fund this for me? That's what the younger son actually said to his dad. And sure enough, the dad said yes. And we don't know why or we don't know what his motive was behind it, but we do know this. The dad said yes. Now, this is so important to understand what happens next, so stay with me. 
Goes on. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in what? Wild living. We don't know how much money he got. We can only assume because of the word estate that it was a large sum of money. And the younger son basically said, Dad, thanks so much for what you've done, but I don't care about this. Thanks for my cash. I'm going out and I'm going to blow it. Wild living, you can only imagine what he did in his life because you live in South Florida. So you've seen a lot of wild living down here. So if you've seen wild living down here, you've been to Las Olas Boulevard and other places. You can only imagine what this kid did, right? After he spent everything, and you're laughing because you know, okay, I'm just saying, right? After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. You're riding high. You got a big check in your bank account. You're thinking life is not going to catch up with me. And all of a sudden, boom, smack dab. You do what? You hit rock bottom so much that you have to go hire yourself out to someone who makes you work with their what? Hogs. Pigs. He longed, it says, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating But no one gave him anything. And then, this is what I want you guys to understand, because we don't think about this. So often, even if we've heard this story, we oftentimes just think of the father. But stay with me, okay? The younger son did something here. He was eating what the pigs were eating. And sure enough, Jesus said there's a moment when something happened, a moment when he decided something, a moment when he put his feet in the ground and pivoted his life. And here's what it says. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Meaning, maybe I'll go back home to my family. I I mean, even if my father won't take me back, sure enough, he'll hire me as a servant, hopefully. And maybe I'll have something good to eat then. Maybe I'll do that. He came to his senses. And then he said, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm going to say this is so key. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Okay, I told you today we were going to learn from each one of these characters. So there's something to understand about this about the younger son who went away and kind of lost everything. And sure enough, most of us in this room, we may not get to the point where we've kind of lost everything, right? But there are times that we've probably made some pretty bad decisions, some pretty stupid calls, and we know that we're almost at our own rock bottom. But there was a moment where he came to his senses, and don't forget this, don't miss this, he came to his senses. There was a moment where he understood I have to go and make this right. Nobody can do it for me. Not my dad, not my brother, not my buddy, not the guy who I'm working for, you know, feeding hogs. I have to do this for myself. So he made a conscious effort, don't miss, to fight for his future. He, in this moment, made a conscious decision to go, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to my dad and I'm going to say, dad, please forgive me. I've sinned against you. 
There's just a couple of things I want you to know based on the younger son's life. You're going to have some moments in your life that you do things that you regret. Don't, don't miss this. This is not an excuse for bad behavior or sin. This is a reality. There are going to be moments in every single one of our lives where we do things that we go, that was so stupid. That was so dumb. What in the world did I do that for? How am I going to pick up the pieces of my life and put it back together? Every single one of us, more than likely, and if you don't experience this, then you might not be living in the same world that we are because a lot of us have gone through this. There's going to be moments that you go, I made a bad call. I made a bad business deal. I got into a bad relationship. I used that and I shouldn't have. Whatever that looks like for you, there's going to be moments in life that you do things that you regret. You want to know what is also easy to do when you do things that you regret? If you were the son, it would have been really easy to quit. Oh boy, would it have been easy to quit. One of my favorite television shows of all time and favorite characters of all time is Seinfeld and George Costanza. Okay, I don't know if you're a Seinfeld fan or not, so if you don't, you probably won't get, if you're not, you probably won't get this, but I am. And in one episode, George is volunteering for a senior citizen center around the holidays and trying to help this older gentleman, right, engage with culture and have a relationship with George. And then George quits. And Jerry said to George, George, you quit? And he goes, oh yeah. He goes, I come from a long line of quitters. My grandfather was a quitter. My father was a quitter. I was made to give up. That's what he said. Quitting is very, very easy to do. It's much more difficult to fight for your future, to actively ask for forgiveness, to pursue a different path than it is to just quit. He could have stayed with the pigs and lived only a short time and not made anything right with his family if he wanted to. And sure enough, this kid, and he gets a bad rap in this story, and I'm not saying he doesn't deserve a bad rap, but a lot of times he's the negative butt of this story, and he said, I'm going to go back and I'm going to fight. I'm going to try to make things right between me and my family. So that's the younger son. Let's talk about the father. Because, oh man, how would you feel? Let's think about this for a second. How how would you react if your youngest son, one of your most prized possessions, someone that you love more than anything else, people tell me all the time because I'm currently not a parent, they say you have no idea the love that you will have for a child that will come into your life. And I was like, I love my dog. Is it on the same level as that? And just ima- okay, just imagine this father and what he must have been feeling when his youngest son not only basically said, hey, dad, I wish you were dead, but I'm going to go waste everything you gave me. It would have been very natural for the father to do what? Say, you're gone. I never want to see you again. Do not come back into my life. I do not forgive you. In fact, society, even modern day society, would have easily condoned that response. Culture back then would have condoned that response. Culture today would condone that response. We would easily go, you know what? The father was wronged. His son betrayed him, wasted everything he gave him. It's easy to say, nope, out of my life. You will not do this to me again. Goodbye. But I want to tell you what the father did. Because it's a representation for how we should live every single day and how God actually lives for us and what that looks like. This is so cute. Don't miss it. Luke chapter 15, it goes on and it says this. It says, but while he, the younger son, had gone home, still a long way off, 
his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, didn't walk, ran, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And then the father said something, but the father said to his servants, quick, you can only see him yelling, hey, he's home, quick, don't, don't miss this moment, right? Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. The father could have easily shunned this kid, and he said, no, he's here, he's back. Bring everything you got. And what a representation this is. For God's love for us every single day. Because all of us are going to have moments in life that we regret. And God stands there with arms wide open waiting for us to come home. Ready to throw a robe around us and wrap his arms around us in a way that we could never imagine. So there's something that I just want you to know about this. Because I don't know where every person in this room is at. But I know a lot of us have probably been waiting through things and dealing with things in our life. And here's what I want you to know. When you hit rock, when you hit rock bottom... Remember, you can always come home. Nothing that you can ever do will separate you from God's love. And that is exactly what the local church should be like as well. Standing with arms wide open, waiting for those who do things they regret and who have hit rock bottom to come home. There's always a place for someone in the family of God. So I talked about the younger brother. I talked about the father. We're going to hit them again in a second, but... There was another person in this story, another character that we have yet to talk about. Probably a character that most of us relate to most. And that was the older brother. Because when I asked you earlier if you've ever had a sibling or a family member that has kind of gone away and wasted everything or done everything that they might regret, you know what happens to us when we're left behind? Some of us, we're left picking up the pieces. We're left to be there for our family. We're left to hold up our mom or our dad or those who've dealt with things. And the older brother was no exception. The scripture does not go into this, but you can only imagine that he had to help care for his father, who was probably just heartbroken, to be a shoulder for the father to lean on, to actually help him get through day by day, to have to help deal with other family members who were looking at this person who's the younger brother and going, what a loser, what a deadbeat, don't let him back. The older brother probably took all of that. And sure enough, after the younger son came home, the prodigal son, the wasteful son, the older brother was not happy. Oh, was he hot? In fact, he was more mad than ever before because his dad had not thrown him a party. His dad threw the younger brother a party and gave him a great steak in the meantime. And wouldn't you want that steak for yourself? And the older brother was seething. In fact, the scripture talks about how, and we're not going to go into this just for time, but how he and his father just debated this. And the older brother went back at the father and said, he does not deserve this. What is wrong with you? How could you? do this and let him back here and i want to put up on the screen the final part of this parable life-changing fiction how the father responded because oh boy if we just understood this and implemented this in our life everything would change everything would be different here's what he said in luke chapter 15 verses 31 and 32 he's addressing the older brother at this point he said my son the father said you are always with me, 
And everything I have is yours. Everything. I, I, I will give you my whole life, my whole heart. You know this. You're my son. You're always with me. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. He went away and screwed it all up, had a realization and came back home. We have to party because this is a representation for how Jesus treats every single one of us every single day. We deserve all of us to be out with pigs eating slop and he says, no, come back and I'll throw you a big party. So when we look at the older brother and we look at the life and the moment that he had right here with his father, do you want to know what it said to me this week as we continually looked at this and wrote this? Here's what it said to me. That there was a big reality check that a lot of us needed to have. And we say a lot of controversial things around here from time to time, and today is going to be no different. What we say right now is going to be important because it was one of the founding principles that we founded Downtown Harbor Church on because this was it, right? Here's what we have a reality check with when we look at the life of the older brother. A lot of Christians are just like the older brother. A lot of Christians who see people who are down and out go, they can't be a part of our holy club anymore. They can't get back in. And furthermore, they definitely can't engage. Christians go, no, if you're not like us, if you've messed up, if you don't exactly believe what we believe, you are out. And Jesus said, uh-uh. Do you know what Jesus said based on this story, based on the life of the younger brother, the older brother, the father? He basically said this, hey. Christians, local church, people of the time, this is what he said. When you think you're so good because of what you've done, Jesus said, give a party to the one who messed it all up. Here's what I just want you to know. In, no, just sidebar for a second. Sorry, I'm getting all passionate up here. I need to breathe, all right? It's a deal, okay? So, oh, wow, they're clapping. Okay. It's a deal. According to the law of the time that the people were living in, who Jesus was talking to, do you want to know what the father could have done to this son who messed it all up? He could have killed him and stoned him and said, you don't deserve the right to be a part of my family anymore. You are out. You are gone. Jesus, with this story, saying, welcome him back and give a party to the one who messed it all up. Jesus, with this story, changed everything. He said, your law is no longer valid. I now am the law. This is what I'm saying. And the new law is not law. The new law is love. What would happen in our community? When I say the word community, I mean your life. Whether it's your family, whether it's your job, whether it's your church, whether it's our city. That's what I mean when I say the word community. Let me say this. What would our community be like if we treated everyone like they always had a seat at the table? Just think about this. Imagine a table in your home. And a lot of times, people put a lot of time and effort into their table, especially around the holidays, right? They're doing it up. They got the chairs. They get the table settings. It's all nice. Creighton Barrel, right, has had a major profit because of what you've done, a lot of you, okay? Here's what I want you to know. What if you took that analogy and you said, you know what? There's some empty chairs at my table because there are people that I won't let back in my life. 
And I'm not saying you need to be a doormat. I'm not saying you need to be abused. I'm not saying that people's behavior is excused. That's not what I'm saying at all. Don't misunderstand this. But this doesn't even need need to mean that they sit at the table every time. But what would our community be like if we treated everyone like they always had a seat at the table? And when we started Downtown Harbor Church, we said this years ago and three years ago. And we said, what if our church looked like this? That no matter how bad it got for someone, no matter what it looked like in their life, they always had a seat in this room representing they had a seat at the table Don't miss it. no matter how bad it gets because for some of us it's gotten bad for some of us it's been really bad and we've been way down and out and what that looks like for you might look like it might look different for me and it might look different for you it doesn't matter but the truth is, is that a lot of us have been there a lot of us will be there again what does it look like no matter how bad it gets So Downtown Harbor Church, every week we put a word on the screen. And this word is just a word that we put on the screen. And if you're new around here, you'll get used to this. But it's a word that we put on the screen because it matters to us. And it's the word practical. And it just means this. How can you hear a message on Sunday? How can you hear a message in a room on Sunday and then put it into practice in your life on Monday? Because one of the things we found is that a lot of the churches we've been to, we don't have any idea what the person with the microphone's talking about. (laughs) We just don't. That's just being a fact. And sure enough, we want to give some practical steps. So with this message, we just wanted to give one practical for each character in this fictional story. One practical. The first one's this. And if you're a note taker, now's the time. If you're a picture taker, now's the time because these are what we want you to go out of here with. These are so key, right? The first one is based on the older brother. Celebrate when someone experiences redemption. Throw them a big party. Because you know what? I can only put myself in the shoes of that younger brother who lost it all, much like you probably can too. Do you think he needed people at that moment to beat him down? Mm -mm. His life was on the line. He was so far gone that the only thing that he needed in that moment was people to say, we got you. We are there for you. And his older brother, his own blood, when he finally came home and he got the party, he goes, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not in for this. And Jesus said, no way. The father's response to him was so key about how we should react. Celebrate when someone experiences redemption. And then when they fall again, celebrate it again. And then when they fall again, celebrate it another time. Because that's how many times people might have to pick themselves back up. That's what Jesus does for our life every single day, celebrate when someone experiences redemption. The second one is this. It's based on the younger brother, and we're going to have a song out here in a moment, and it's going to be a powerful, powerful time, so just stay with us because it's key, but one of the things we can learn from the younger brother is this. A lot of us are going to do things we regret, but once we do, don't give up on your future. Oh man, is it easy to throw in the towel? Is it easy to say, I'm done? I'm done with my family. I'm done with my marriage. I'm done with my job. I'm done with people who don't believe in me. I am done. I have no future. I'm down and I'm out. Uh -uh. Jesus said, no way. The thing that I take away from this story the most is that the younger brother had a moment when he what? Came to his senses and then had to fight. That's exactly what he did. And the last one is this. It's based on the father. It's about how much he actually proved that he was a representation for Jesus and God in the flesh. It's this, unconditionally love. Do you know what this means, right? 
This means loving without condition. This means I know you've wronged me. I love you anyway. I know you're down and out. I love you anyway. I know that you might fail again. I love you anyway. Come back home. Unconditionally love. So what if your life looked like a table and there was empty chairs and you knew there were people in your life who you just needed to say, I know you wronged me. I know you've, I know you've done wrong. I know that my response to you hasn't been pretty, but I just want to say, I love you. I forgive you. Please act like you can come back in, like there's always a seat for you at this table. Just what I want you to know, you who are here today, whatever happens, remember you always have a seat at the table. At Downtown Harbor Church, you have a seat in this room, always. Whatever happens. But here's what I want you to know about the seat at the table. The seat at the table, even though it might be open, might be closed if you choose not to fight. If you choose not to come to your senses and say, I got to fight. I got to do it. No matter what you're going through, I got to fight. I'm going to put my life into motion and I'm going to get this right because when you do that the seats that are always open at the table will be filled and that's the point this was the most powerful parable that jesus ever told as he walked this earth we gang starting right here at dhc have got to begin getting this right and some of you who've been around here for a while you might say you know i've heard of this one before you guys have done this before yes we have and we're going to do it again and let me tell you why because it's so important to jesus that means it should be important to us whatever happens remember you always have a seat at the table but if you're down and out like that younger brother you gotta fight for that seat Fight every day. Don't give up. You have a future. You have a future that God's willing to never leave or forsake you. Fight for that future. Let me pray. Father, God, for who you are, we love you. For who you are, we praise you. For who you are, we thank you in this place. We thank you in this moment. God, we started this message by asking you to fill this room with your presence, and we just humbly tell you we feel that you're here. Because, God, you gave this powerful, powerful truth to us in the form of a fictional story about a couple of people who had to go through something and come out the other end. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us in this room. God, those of us who are like the younger brother, I pray that you would help us to continue to fight and to get it right. Fill our hearts and minds with redemption, and we need to put one foot in front of the other and follow after you. Those of us who are like the older brother, God, soften our hearts. Soften our hearts to people who are lost and broken, that we may always unconditionally love them, just like the father did to his younger son. With whatever issue that we're going through, God, allow your presence to fill this place. Allow your spirit to just engage with us right where we're at. And God, one of the things we just love so much is that you're hearing and answering this prayer. And Lord, for us, as we seek after you, guide us, help us, and keep us. Today we pray all in Jesus' name. Amen.